And I just find mm. uh, there's a lot of humans who are fragile today. They're not tough. You know, they're just not tough. Right. The other yeah. thing is there's a belief out there that I should, you know, and you've, uh, this is uh, another dimension of what you're saying, is that I'm supposed to be 100% responsible for your feelings. How about personal responsibility? You're responsible for how you interpret the world and how you decide to feel, and that is the decision. Mm -hmm. No one's a victim. So the psychological and the physical toughness is part of the rite of passage that is lacking. I would make a guess that only about 20% of their children are going to be more successful than the parents are. And the reason is they don't want to have mm -hmm. to go. They, they have a philosophy. I don't want my children to have to go through what I did to be successful. Mm -hmm. And that, that just enables the child right away. Well, guess what? There's a new book that Dan Sullivan just wrote. It's called Geometry for Staying Cool and Calm, but it's also about the tender society we live in, the victim mentality, and what's been contributing to that, and also a way out. I like to think of this as the first principles for being a great parent and having successful kids. And I got to say, Dan shares some of his biggest, best nuggets, including a story about drinking and cowardice that just might change the way you think. So Dan, what's your big takeaway and why should people listen to and watch this episode? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, this was triggered by the fact that five years ago, I made the decision not to watch television anymore because it, it just seemed not giving me any usefulness. And so I'm approaching the end of five years and uh, I've noticed that the world has gotten a lot better for me, but I'm still on, uh, you know, I still watch the internet. I've got great, um, you know, I've got great news sites and everything else. And I get the news on my schedule according to the way I want it. And um, I've just noticed that things, uh, uh, there seems to be a division in the world between those who are tough and those who are fragile. And uh, and the, fra the fragile people are shouting. Uh, the tough people are just going on about their business. And, uh, and I call it the age of rage. So this is a geometry of mindsets that I'm going to talk about and for staying cool and calm. All right. So if you want to inoculate yourself from the age of rage, this is the episode for you, your friends, your family, and your kids. So stay tuned and check it out. All right, Dan, so tell me what is Geometry for Staying Cool and Calm? New book. What's it all about? Yeah. Um, um, so <clears throat> I um, have a lot of interest besides entrepreneurism. I'm very, very interested in just how the world works and how the world's going. And uh, I've just been observing for the past um, probably five years more than before uh, the level of upset and anxiety and uh, overall drug addiction, mm -hmm. legal and illegal drug addiction and uh, rage, yeah. rage and outbursts and uh, personal attacks and digital attacks 
And I said, gee, it's really, really interesting. That's a kind of an interesting world. And I haven't watched television. It'll be July um, uh, next month. Uh, I'll be five years without even a, an hour of television. And for me, uh, the world's the every year I go by without watching television, life, the world seems to get better. So I'm having a opposite effect from all the upset, <laughs> the, the upset, the upset, upset people. And yep. uh, and I call it the age of rage. And um, uh, and I said, you know, um, um, this is really, really interesting times. And um, uh, I just turned 79. So I was born a couple of weeks before the Normandy invasion in 1944. And, um, you know, big events were happening in the world. And the atom bomb about a year later and you know all sorts of interesting things but what i was noticing is where a lot of those were physical threats these seem to be psychological threats it seems to, that uh, actually people are living you know if you do a comparison with previous times people live with an amazing amount of comfort and convenience and actual safety i mean you got to be observant where you're hanging out and who you're hanging out mm -hmm. with. But, but generally speaking, these are kind of safe times. And um, and uh, uh, I think people are geared actually for danger and trouble. Uh, mm -hmm. part, of our, part of our brain is. And in the absence of it, we still need it. So we create it inside our heads and project it yeah. on everybody else. Yeah. You know, and so uh, that's what this book is about. And uh, I, I use the word geometry because I'm a great Euclid fan, and Euclid was the Greek who lived in Egypt 2,300 years ago, who came up with the, the finest math book probably in the history of the world. And what it was was all the known mathematical principles and techniques that existed in you know, the Middle East, which was, uh, you know, the central area in the Western Eastern Hemisphere. We don't know much about China. We don't really know that much what was going on in Asia. But in the Mediterranean, um, this was a really hot thing. And I loved I loved the way he organized the book and he called it geometry. And it was how space is uh, constructed and how you can use space. Uh, mainly mm -hmm. to build things and um yep. and so um i really fell in love with it i read the whole first book and it was 47 propositions mike and um you have proposition number one and when you get to proposition two you can't understand proposition two until you understand until you understand proposition one when you get to proposition 47 that's how many there are uh you have to understand the previous 46 proposition. I said, you know, this is a really great way to, uh, to build things. You know, it's a, it's a neat way to put things together. So I just began thinking there are some rules that I think need to be established. Um, and I came up with three of them um, for being cool and calm in a world where everybody is going loony. So I've been thinking about something lately. Um, 
and just just for everyone who's reading, so I put it in the show notes. What's the name of the book? Geometry in quotation marks because it's not mathematical okay. geometry for staying cool and calm. For staying cool and calm. No, uh, the book, the map book that you're talking about, the old book. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's um, uh, principles of geometry. You know, I think that okay. something along those lines. I okay. don't don't remember Great. it. Oh, I always have our companion buddy, Chet GPT, running in the background. So I'm always doing some additional oh, uh, Yeah, research. tell him the 10 most fun. important things about Euclidean, Euclid, uh, the mathematician Euclid. And, yep. and yeah, it'll, it'll scour. It'll. Okay. It's great. Um, so I'll do that after I, I make this point. So our son, Zach, just came home from college for the summer. And one thing I was... Um, telling someone. So you and I, this is the first time we've had, we've had conversations similar to this before, but you hadn't put it in a concentrated form with the book. And I was just telling someone the other day that in the world we live in and have for quite some time, and I'm going to include my generation in this to a degree because I'm technically not a boomer and I'm kind of in between Gen X and boomer. So I'm, I'm, I've never had a, I've never had a feeling that I have a relationship or identity um, association with any generation. I just felt like I was an in-betweener and somewhere fell in the cracks. And, and most people that I know that I associate with who are my age feel about the same way. I just turned 57 this year. So, um, and what I was saying is we have no rite of passage in our world today, or at least in, in the United States, as far as I'm concerned. And there isn't, and it is an easy life. There are no real threats except made up ones in our minds. You know, I'll be like, oh, what's someone saying about me on social media, which isn't a real threat, right? And I really thought, as horrible as this may sound, one of the best rites of passage for young people was there's always a war going on in the past. And there was either a chance you're going to war and you're going to grow up fast and it's life or death, or you'd go into the military and um, there was no mommy to rescue your feelings from. Right. And I think when you aren't faced with, if the human psyche, so I'm going to go on record as saying, if you don't hit a sense of real life and death and real fear, um, there is no rite of passage. And like, and you and I have talked about versions of this growing up, you know, back in the day when you would come home and the whistle blew, at least where I grew up, um, that was the the fire whistle. It either It's either a tornado or a real fire, or it was time to come home and go to bed. It was 9 p.m. Uh, there was the noon whistle and the 9 p.m. whistle. And then the curfew, and, um, curfew whistle. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And and back then, I mean, I can remember one of my first painful experiences as a child. I was five years old and, you know, we didn't have any money. So I had an old junky fat tire steel bike with no hand grips on it. And I'm riding up a dirt hill in the back backyard where they're building homes. So on one side is a pit I could fall in that's 20 feet d- deep with like Oh, um, uh, concrete blocks and, uh, um, steel formers, whatever they're called. They're basically steel that you've put, uh, when you're pouring concrete, I forget the name of them right now. Um, you know, if I'd fallen that, I would have been impaled 
and uh, there's broken glass all over the place. And I'm riding up a hill and I wasn't going fast enough, started going backwards. And this thing swung around and took a huge chunk of skin out of my belly and knocked the air out of me. And I'm laying on the ground going, (gasps) you know, can't catch my breath and bleeding like crazy. And there's no one there to scream to. And even if I would have screamed, you know, I'd basically a neighborhood kid who's older than me would probably just come over and punch me. You know, it'd be like, that's Mm kind of like, so there was a certain level of physical fear and trauma I endured that I'm sure is much less than 10 or 20 or 30 years before, but that was growing up. And, um, you know, as I watch my son, who's 20 years old, who comes back and he's got his whole share, like everyone in his generation of anxiety and anxiousness and stuff he's worried about. And it's like, to me, I'm like, whatever. And I know to my dad, it would have been like double whatever. Um, you know, he, he was six years old. He fell backwards in a barn, landed on his head and got epilepsy. You know, that was like living on the farm days. Um, completely, you know, he's like blind and half, half an eye because when he was younger, somehow someone threw a bottle or something. I hit with a base with a baseball bat thinking it was a ball and, uh, it, the glass shards went in his eye, you know, that's like life on the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone got a tractor rolled over on him one day. That's life on the farm. It's just kind of normal. That's why you have eight kids. You got some spares, different mentality. Oh, you, different got, mentality. you got free labor too. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Nothing better than good old fashioned slaves, which literally my dad was a slave to a bad uncle who had like beat and strapped the kids. You know, he was, he joined the army to run away from a little town in Iowa. And, um, you know, that was the only way out. Um, so from literal enslavement, uh, enslavement, and he had, you know, he had eight siblings. Um, so, yeah, well, I, you know, um, the central idea is, um, uh, uh, Nisam Taleb, the writer, Nisam Taleb, um, <clears throat> um, wrote a great book, anti-fragility, and I just find mm. uh, there's a lot of humans who are fragile today. They're not tough. You know, they're just not tough. Right. The other yeah. thing is there's a belief out there that I should, you know, and you've, uh, this is uh, another dimension of what you're saying is that I'm supposed to be a hundred percent responsible for your feelings. Right. To that. So what I do every, everywhere I go, I have an NSFW shirt, which is not safe for work. I wear that everywhere I go. And I'm like, I'm not here for anyone's feelings. We're here on a mission and our mission is to get stuff done. And we check in our, uh, we, um, you know, again, these are words I can't say. Um, but you know, back when we grew up, there was, but, you, but know, you, you are, you are saying them right now. I'm about to say it right now. Um, so I say, you know, this isn't a place for sissies and, um, um, you know, we're mission focused and we check our egos in at the door and we are a unit and we think that way we behave that way. And we're here to get stuff done. Um, and, um, and that is the best union you'll create. It's like when we are not hurt with one person's feelings, but we think like a unit. And I think that camaraderie and kinship is part of the positive side of tribalism versus the fascist side of tribalism, which is 
somehow it became society's responsibility for your feelings. And it's like, that's the worst form of socialism imaginable. Mm-hmm. It's the worst form of communism and fascism imaginable. Um, which is how about personal responsibility? You're responsible for how you interpret the world and how you decide to feel. And that is the decision. Mm-hmm. No one's a victim. Um, and so the psychological and the physical toughness is part of the rite of passage that is lacking. So my mm-hmm. question for you is if you're king for a day, what would Dan Sullivan do to create uh psychological and physical rites of passage what's the gap what's missing and how do we fix and repair this how do we create a stronger more unified um personally responsible sound youth or next generation like what is missing what's the gap and how do we create a fix knowing that we have the world we live in today. How do you make it exciting, enticing, and um, inspire parents to be leaders for their kids, inspire the kids to actually want this and desire it? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a number of answers, but right off the bat, uh, I only know what the world is in relationship to a relatively small number of people. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I'm... I'm a real, um, you know, not believer, but I, I really take seriously the Dunbar's law, which emotionally, uh, we only, you know, at the furthest extent, we really can't emotionally relate to more than 150 people. And the yep. top 10 uses up 80% of our, our emotions. The top two use up 50% of our emotions. So, you know, um, the uh, thing I think is when you talk about the world, the world is an abstraction. Nobody knows what the world is. They've got stories about what they think the world is, and there's theories about what the world is and how the world operates. But my, my sense is that you're, if, um, that the one human being you have direct access to, Mike, is you, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I don't know what other people are feeling, and um, I don't know how they're thinking about what they're feeling. So I, I'm, I, don't, I don't really have much insight into how other people should do it, but I think that there's a couple of um, things that entrepreneurs do. There's two entrepreneurial uh, decisions that entrepreneurs make, which I think are the beginning of that um, maturity stage, uh, becoming mature. And, uh, you'd like to, you'd like me to share those two decisions. I would. And I was thinking to myself, how very Anne Rand of you with that, uh, initial response. Um, and that's not an insult by the way, but well, she didn't um, know, she didn't know more than 150 either, you know? No, but what she did, I saw this, not, it, it's an old interview on television and it was one of the original 60 Minutes guys. Mm. Um, Mike Wallace. I think it, I had to have been Mike Wallace. Right, Mike he's Wallace. chain-smoking there. Yeah, I think Mike they're Wallace, both chain-smoking. Mike Wallace, yeah. So it showed up on my YouTube feed, and it's fantastic. And you just listen to this precise mind <clears throat> that really, really understands human society, culture, psychology, 
and <coughs> what matters and uh, how being selfish is not selfish. It's actually selfless because it all starts with personal responsibility and creating value and a meritocracy mindedness. Yeah. yeah well, so, I've read, you know, I've read all her stuff and, uh, you know, you, you, you're really not educated if you get past 20 and you haven't read Atlas Shrugged, you know, so, no. you know, but uh, whatever. I mean, she had her own take on the world, but her, you know, her her world really wasn't that much bigger than your world or my my world. It's just the insights that the world provides you with mm -hmm. the two. um decisions that entrepreneurs make number one i'll be responsible uh i'll be entirely responsible for my own financial security okay that's number one okay yeah and if you look at entrepreneurs you know them mike you were one at a very early age i was mm -hmm. at a very early age that uh they don't lead um normal lives after probably about age seven or eight years old they start veering off and they start involving themselves at, in money-making activities at a, at a very early age because they want to pay for things they want to buy things and you know, we want to buy our freedom for me that's what a big part oh, of that's it was. the start of it freedom that's, and independence. A, that's the start yeah. of it yeah so we take um total total responsibility for your financial security and the other one things is that you'll never expect opportunity until you first grade value for someone else i think if you get those two down pretty early um i think uh the rest of your life um ups and downs and everything else will be in the um in the direction of constant growth and yeah. i think you'll get tough i think you'll get tough mm -hmm. I think you'll develop really good emotional muscles, psychological muscles. You'll get smarter intellectually. Um, you'll be yep. much more practically smart than other people are. So those are the two. Two. Those are the two. So I mean, you're, you're asking, how do you start that system? I'd start the system. I think that's what uh, Chad Willardson and Scott Donnell are really doing with their gravy stack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I like everything about that business idea except the name. Um, well, I told them that right from the start. Well, Apple, yeah, but, Apple computer, you know, Google, yeah. Google, you know, right. what the, you yeah. know, what what is this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Mark Zuckerberg had a good one with Facebook. I could understand uh, Facebook, and then he creates Meta, and Meta. What what's Meta? You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I like meta. That means a lot of stuff. Well, I don't want to, I don't really want to have stacks of gravy in my pockets, pants, bed, or uh, elsewhere. Um, I like gravy. Thing, things I don't think out. about it. Anyway, it's okay. Things, it's just things, a name. Yeah. Names, uh, names uh, developed. I mean, <laughs> if there's a lot of cash flowing, the name sounds better and better, you know? Anyway. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh -huh. uh, yeah, not, not th yes. nothing. Um, uh, nothing separates a bad idea from a good idea like a big check. Correct, sir. Yes. Oh, that's um, I'm with uh, I'm actually with a client uh, this week, and um, 
he has come up with a really, really great way of producing traffic, intent-based traffic, uh, meaning he intercepts Google intent-based search data before it gets clicked on and then can associate it with real people. So in other words, you can see the intent associated with real people, and it means you can filter out and say, I only want to see information about people searching for a particular thing who have a net worth of, let's say, $2 million, an income of $500,000 or more, who live in the United States or in these specific zip codes, own iPhones and have these apps on them, for example, and then you can retarget just them. So it eliminates the fraud and what we jokingly call the Cambodian crack baby complex, which is if you tell you know Facebook and Google you want certain people, you're still getting a bunch of garbage from Afghanistan, India, and, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. As uh, um, right, so um, so anyway, that's uh, more jokes there, but yeah, yes, yeah, but the the central issue. Um, uh, that I think our conversation from the beginning really revolves mm-hmm. around, are you responsible for yourself or not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I mean, do you, do you take ownership of your specific life or do you not take ownership, you know? And, mm-hmm. yeah. Get more clients, grow your business with better marketing and messaging, make more money and get a better life with more freedom of time, money, relationship and impact. Learn more about our three-day, one-on-one, done-with-you reinvention workshop. Visit connecttomike.com to book a conversation with me right now. All right, back to the episode. I'm going to tell you a little story um, that's, I think, relevant, and I want to see how you decode it, which is um, like both Vivian and I grew up where my press stress and pressure, as you know, you know, a small little farm community um fields all around me and my dad came from a poor environment my mother um as i would say was the product of a philandering alcoholic fireman who worked uh at a beer at a beer place at night you know so no good came out of that and um you know i'm the oldest of four no additional resources to speak of and if i wanted something i had to make money and i you know started making money as long Age five, six, seven. You know, I had a paper out, did all all the things. I was working full time by the time I was 16. And I hated that little town. It was like anything I could do to get out. So my eye was escape from this place and move to Sunnyvale, California and go work for Steve Jobs and Wozniak. That was my dream. And I eventually learned to code. So Lots of failures along the way, but that was that little, to me, it was its own little trauma. Even though I had parents who loved me, I grew up in a nice little place and I didn't understand how nice I had it until I was away from it for a little while. To us, fishing meant going out and getting food, but it was also my bond with my dad and we did it a lot and we had a giant garden. Now I hated doing the gardening because it felt like slave labor to me, but I didn't realize how unbelievable it was to learn how to grow food and just naturally, you know, it's like I had a shovel in my hand since I was probably two years old. Yeah. And, um, plus you, so have, a you, good, you have good gut bacteria because you ate 10 pounds, the dirt, ate 10 yeah. pounds of dirt before you were 10. <laughs> exactly. Break a biome. Totally. George Carlin would say, 
We swam in the in the in the whatever the uh, whatever river when it was filled with pollution and, and raw sewage. Um, so um, and then, you know, my wife, Vivian, she grew up in a slum in, in New York, completely different life. The daughter of Holocaust survivors. And she was horribly abused by her father. So we both had our own traumas. And on, a, on one hand, you'd say I'd never want any of that on someone. And thank God that's what happened to me. Um, and then our son was raised where, you know, we're first generation money. We worked our ass off. We're older parents. So we literally gave him everything possible, sent him to the best schools and he's going to college and we saved we, even when we didn't have it. So he'd never have any debt. And, um, and he, like many of his friends and he's a great kid. We love him, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, getting his ass out of bed by noon is hard. And, um, and, and it's, uh, and, and laws are negotiated, you know, it's a, it's a generation and this isn't uncommon and there's so you can be so hard. And at the same time, it's like, shoot, where do you draw the line and just throw them out on the street? And the world is definitely more complicated. Now it was different when you were younger. It was di it's different when I was younger and you can't just throw a kid on the street because, you know, bad things happen, different kinds of bad things. Um, and boy, I know I sound like a privileged white man and I'm not complaining. Um, but I, I talk to a lot of parents with a lot of kids and this is not an uncommon story, including plenty of people from coach. And, um, and you know, you never know what you're going to get. Every kid's going to be a little bit different. You just got a different makeup. But, um, and the good news is he's coming he's come a long way. Like, uh, he's, um, turning 21 on one hand, it's like, geez, you know, it takes so long, but like he's using AI, he's creating, he's working on movies. He's interested in music. He's figured out how to express himself. He's a great speaker. He's articulate, huge, very high EQ. I'm not worried about him, but, you know, we've had our bumps and grinds like anything. And I think uh, I often say boys brains, you know, your, your frontal lobe develops somewhere between 25 and never. <laughs> um, but getting back to the question, you know, you've known me a long time and you've probably got some observations knowing what you know. Now you've had the great fortune of observing generations of kids from your clients for 40 some years in coach what have been the wing winningest strategies that you've seen coach members as parents make and what are some of the most failing strategies when you look at their kids or know about their children yeah <clears throat> i think the uh most successful ones uh, in terms of um, the satisfaction that the parents have, you know, that they're actually satisfied is um, they gave a lot of direction from the standpoint of values. They gave a lot of direction uh, from the standpoint of um, kind of first principles, you know, like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, that if if you if you want something, um, work for it and earn it. You know, which I think is a good first principle. And um, you know, and the the other thing is um, 
the, some very early economic um, principles. And I think that uh, Chad Willardson and Scott Donald really focus on this. Uh, you learn the value of money and you learn mm -hmm. the value that you're happier with money if you earn it than if it's given to you. And, yeah. and you utilize money differently if it's your money than it's your parents' money. And, mm -hmm. and that um, um, uh, you try to get independent um, in a lot of different areas of your life. Um, much faster than your peers, you know? And so, you know, I mean, the question related to, I'm 50 years coaching next year, so next uh, next August 15th, uh, August 15th, um, 74, yep. so it'll be 50 years. And I would say that from my um, experience, um, the way that our clients, um, raise their children, I would make a guess that only about 20% of their children are going to be more successful than the parents are. And the reason is they don't want to have mm -hmm. to, go, they, they have a philosophy. I don't want my children to have to go through what I did to be successful. Mm -hmm. And that, that just enables the child right away. Yes. Yes. That is, why not? Why, why, why don't you make them go through as tough a life as mm -hmm. you? I mean, aren't you who you are because you went through tough stuff? So, yeah, what you're saying, I, I'm going to I'm going to have a very I'll tell you really honestly, one of the biggest reasons why that is the real honest answer is it's super inconvenient and hard because I know for me speaking for myself purely selfishly when i look at it and i didn't even i couldn't have articulated what i'm i'm going to tell you now is if i would have made my kid go through what i would have gone through i would have had to have done it intentionally it would have really inconvenienced my life um it would have been a lot harder on vivian and me and um now, what I'm again, the truth is we had a live in nanny because we could afford it. And I was able to give my best focused attention to my kid all at once because I wasn't doing what I considered shit work. You know, it's like I've I swore after mowing a half acre lawn that was wet and soggy and filled with water and all kinds of crap nails from construction and junk like that when it was 110 degrees outside with 90 percent humidity you know a push lawnmower that constantly had problems it was like i would never mow another lawn or shovel another driveway ever because it sucks okay so i've had people doing that because i could afford it and my mindset was now i've got more quality time with my kid and you know, I was unintentionally and very intentionally making it easy. And I wanted to take advantage of the fruits of my labor. So the truth is I didn't make it harder because it would have been a lot harder on me. And I'm done with that. That was the story. I already earned my stripes. Now, what we created as a result of that is 
someone with a prince mindset who didn't have to do the work, right? Um, and it was easier. Yeah. That's the honest answer. And it's, again, not uncommon in, um, you know, the circles I'm in, the neighborhoods I'm in. And, you know, what we did is unintentionally instilled a value system just as much as intentionally. Um, what do you say to that? Yeah, well, I, you can't recreate the conditions of tough that you went through, okay? Mm -hmm. But but to a certain extent, uh, you had the freedom to go through those tough times, and um, you know, and uh, I'm just I'm just wondering here uh, that it's uh, what your mindset is. Uh, about the tough things that your kid is going through that's related to his circumstance. You know, it's, it's a different world. Mm -hmm. I mean, totally, totally different, yeah. world, you know. And my feeling is we have generations because it, it reflects that um, the world is different when you than from when you were that age. There's all sorts yeah. of things happening in the world. And um, that's why I think making judgments about people who live before us is crap. You know, I, I think it's just mm -hmm. crap. Uh, they were dealing with conditions that have been solved for you. You know, so you're making mm -hmm. all sorts of judgments, but they, they were faced with challenges and difficulties that you can't even comprehend because you can hire somebody to handle all that, you know, and, uh, you know, and everything else, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, my life and my work does not reflect the conditions that I grew up in. But I, fully, yeah. uh -huh. but I fully lived in the conditions that I grew up in, you know, and I was reacting them. And, uh, um, you know, uh, I, I'll give you a mindset um, that my mother, a couple of them that my mother installed in me. And I mean, my mother was more of a verbal teacher than my father was. My father was a, mm -hmm. uh, he was a working teacher. He was just a great worker, you know, just yeah, a great worker. Mine too. Yeah. And uh, my mother, um, so I grew up on a farm and we had 60 acres of farmland and we had 15 acres of woods. And I could go into the woods <clears throat> if one of my siblings, older siblings was with me, but I couldn't do it. Um, myself until I was six years old. And my mother says, no, you, you can go in the woods now and the dog will be with you. So, um, you know, uh, you know, and the dog would because I was the only human that the dog could go with, you know, that, that would, you know, be a good, uh, good companion. So I went companion. and I climbed trees and I swung on vines and I hung from my knees from branches and, you know, got wet and, you know, and did all sorts of things. And then I came running back up. It was about from the house. It was a good half mile. It was a good half mile to the woods. And I came mm -hmm. right back up. I said, Mom, Mama, I want to tell you what I did down in the woods. And she said, nope, nope, don't want to know what you do down in the woods. Do not want to do not want to know about what you do in the woods. Uh, the dog's with you. If there's trouble, the dog will come back and bark and we'll find you. Do not want to know what you're doing down in the woods. 
But there's a, there's a profound philosophy involved in that response. And that is wow. that since she's not worrying about me, um, I better worry about myself. Wow. Bear, I wouldn't. That is profoundly interesting and uh, really interesting. Um, you know, I just, it didn't even dawn on me to talk about the stuff. And there were three younger kids, so I didn't have a chance. You're the youngest, though, right? No, I'm fifth out of seven. So I've got. Oh, okay. All right. I got That's four. I got four. You just have an unmute. I, I have never a, heard I of have that. A really weird. A, yeah. And both my parents are fifth children. I'm a fifth wow. and all for uh, two of my parents. So it was, uh, you know, it was easy pass relationship with my parents, you know, and uh, they didn't they didn't pay any particular attention to me, but I spent an enormous amount of time with them, you know, mm -hmm. just uh, just observing them doing adult things. You know, they nobody yeah. was I mean, they, they, you didn't really make fuss about kids. Nobody made people were busy. Yeah. People were working hard. Um, they never came. I played mm -hmm. sports. They never came to the games. Yeah. You know, Same never... here. Yep. Come home at nine. That was the uh, that was the instruction. Yeah. When the whistle yeah. blows, yeah. come home. Now here's the thing uh, <laughs> that uh, I can't make a general uh, I can't make a general statement about what that did to kids that back there because uh, my uh, about ten years ago I was at a family event and. Uh, yep the six of us there were we have one brother who died um died mm -hmm. quite a long time ago but um uh we were at a round table and it was just the six of us and we got into family history and growing up and it was a non-stop about 30 minutes where they were bitching about why they still are angry about why our parents didn't give them any direction. And I said, but, but that was the plus. Yeah. That was, that, that was the bonus prize is that they didn't mm -hmm. give me, they didn't give me any direction, but I, I got tremendous wisdom direction. I got tremendous moral direction. I got mm -hmm. great ethical direction. But not what I should do with my life. They didn't. They didn't suggest at all what, yeah. what I should do with my life. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's that. I think I I would um, sum up as sort of like the DNA encoding, right? Which is sometimes you get a a victim kid, and sometimes you get that self sufficient, perfectly fine, and and you know it's like Victor Frankl, right? Who can walk out of uh, Auschwitz? Out of Right. Yeah. Walk out of that with, and, a game plan, uh, with a game plan that he's been working yeah. on. Yeah. Forgiveness. And I'll be like, yep. Well, um, uh, it's that classic. One of my favorite Tony Robbins quotes is we're meaning making machines and someone can make the meaning of a pee under their mattress, the worst thing in the world and let them scar it. It scars them for life. It's Just like there's certain soldiers can put it in a box, walk away and go to bed and sleep just fine. Right. And other ones are going to be haunted for life and um, no amount of therapy is going to get them through it. And what's the story you're telling yourself over and over and over again, the, the hero that uh, what a hero dies, one death and a coward dies a thousand or something like that. Yeah. 
Um, well, I, I'm just reading, uh, you know, I'm a <clears throat> addict to spy, spy novels yeah. and everything. Yep. But uh, this is um, uh, Second World War, it's in Austria just before the Germans invade. And the, this guy's been asked because he does business in Germany just to, well, on his trips, if he gets an envelope just to bring the envelope back to Vienna, and it'll be picked up. And so the guy is um, ambivalent. He goes two weeks, and and the guy says, "I'll give you two weeks to make up your mind when, whether you're going to do this or not. You have some real advantages to us because you're accepted. Nobody checks you out, and you know mm -hmm. uh, technically it would be very easy for you to do this. But um, and the guy's worrying, and he says, and um, and <clears throat> and so the you know, the the person who's in the spy network, who's talking to him about this, says, well, are you in or are you out? And uh, he says, well, what if I say I'm out? And he says, then you're already a heavy drinker. You'll be drinking more. And he says, there's no drinking like the drinking that you do <laughs> in your life when you know you're a coward. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. I said, that's a quotable quote. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's no drinking like the drinking you do oh. when you know you're a coward. <laughs> yeah. What's the pain you want to wash away that you can't live with every day? Yeah. That's yeah. a song, man. That is a song. Oof. So <clears throat> this, all juicy. this all got triggered because I showed you a title of my new book. Yeah, um, but I'm going to give a teaser because I think we might move. Yeah, out. we got to do that. Let's do uh, the teaser. No, no, I'm going to tell gonna you what do... the teaser is. I've got three rules for staying cool and calm, regardless of what's going on in the world. And the three Let's rules, the three rules are everything's made up. Number one. Yep. Number two is nobody's in charge. And number three, life's not fair. And so if you triangulate, you try do a triangle with these three, all of a sudden uh, you begin to realize that it's totally up to you. Yep. And um, the, the, there's nobody to complain to. And because these three rules apply to everybody, and um, anyway, so those are, it's kind of a geometry, you know, the triangle is the strongest um, uh, structure in the world because each, the two, two angles support the third angle and two sides support the third side. So I said, yeah, maybe we need mindset geometry here. It's great. Everything's made up. Nobody's in charge. Life's not fair. <laughs> and uh there it's man those are golden yummies and the coward there's no drink there's yeah. no drinking like the drinking you do when you know you're a coward oh god that is a quotable quote that is so yummy yeah. and sad well um, coward coward just means that um uh, 
for me, it's not, you know, I was in the army, you know, during Vietnam and everything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. But uh, coward is just, you don't own who you are in this situation. You're always trying yep. to find a way not to own who you actually are. You, you want to be somebody else or you're angry because you're not uh, who you are isn't as good as somebody else and everything else. You're just not owning who you are. Yes. And I, 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 would, I went it. with that. That's the ultimate cowardice. Yeah. I would, I would be curious what percentage of addicts are addicts for that very reason mm-hmm. versus a DNA encoded need to do that. Right. And so um, that is a thinker. That is a gift. So, um, well, here's what I'm going to do. Um, let us wrap up this episode. Well, because... we have to begin. We have to begin it too. We didn't. Yes, we definitely have to begin it. So let's wrap it up first, and then we'll do our intro. So um, uh, I'll just do the standard uh, spiel, which is simply um, number one: go get Dan's new book. Um, yeah, just go to uh, w- uh, strategiccoach.com and. Um, punch in knowledge products and geometry and you know uh, i'll get to you uh, it'll be yeah. up it'll be up on amazon we'll put the link in the show notes that's the other thing we'll do yeah yeah we'll um, put, that'll make put it the easy picture in the show notes and they'll yeah and you know you can get dan's books at strategiccoach.com so that's number one number two share this with anyone you know who may have some kids who uh, or um, could benefit from this kind of conversation. And um, number three, leave a good comment because we uh, we love good comments and feedback. And you can always go to capabilityamplifier.com. Anything else you want to leave, Mr. Dan Sullivan? No, I think uh, it was a wonderful um, full-sided um, discussion that we had, Mike. And uh you know, and we've known each other for a long time, and there's a reason why we're still knowing each other for a long time. Yeah. It's fun to it's fun to collaborate. I, I think, and think together. The, the whole universe is held together by radio waves, you know. And if you're on another station, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's the difference between AM and FM. You know, it's not just it's a different station. It's not. It's a different frequency. And uh, you know, I I really enjoy that. And uh, one of the joys of my life is that the number of people on this frequency are increasing in my life. Oh, it's the best thing ever. Uh, the best thing ever. And that is another episode in itself. So um, we're going to do a frequency doubler. Uh, episode about uh, doubling your frequency and attracting more of that in your life. I think there's some real wisdom in that one. How's that sound? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this one up. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll see you in the next episode of Capability Amplifier. So long.